Hi, this is Melissa Wood Tepperberg, and this is the Move with Heart podcast. Are you ready? <laughs> Just breathe it all in. I want to talk. I can't lie. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be short, sweet, and very spicy. And we're going to get right into it because apparently some of you think I talk too much. <laughs> so happy to have this conversation. I feel like every episode I start, I'm just like, I'm so, I really look forward to these conversations, but this one in particular, through going through this process with Kim and really just experiencing it through her eyes and being support for her during this, I I've never, you know, I never froze my eggs. I have people in my life who have, but this felt so different, just really being a part of it every step of the way. And Dr. Hancock, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you. In support of all things, you have been Kim's doctor throughout this process, and she's just literally raved about you in Uh Spring Fertility. To everyone. Uh To everyone. And... Now I know why from the second that I met you and stepped into the facility, it really was, I think I can speak for him and say this, it was the best decision that we made together. By far. Oh, good. We made a lot of decisions. We did a good job. Cheers to that. Cheers to our (laughs) selenite crystals that we're all holding and grounding together. Love it. So I would love to just start, Kim, with... I know I feel like this is such an open-ended question, but for you to really share the process of what brought you to even deciding at this point in your life to freeze your eggs and and what the experience was like for you. Yeah. I think that was actually a big question um, in deciding to share this. Certainly um, on my social media, a lot of people were asking me why I decided to freeze my eggs and certainly at 41. And Interestingly enough, I'd thought about it multiple times in my 30s, and I just, I mean, certainly there was a point in my life where I couldn't afford to freeze my eggs, and then I was dating someone who had kids and didn't want kids, and I thought that that was okay and that was going to be my life, and then found myself, you know, turning 40 and was dating someone who was a couple years younger than me, and it was a concern of his that I hadn't frozen my eggs. And at the time, I was highly offended that he said that to me. Um, But it really made me think that it hit me like, wow, I am 40. And and then I was shortly single after that. Um, But I was, I realized, wow, this this could happen where I've aged out and can't have children. And so I really decided it was time for me to freeze my eggs because I didn't want to miss the opportunity. I wanted to do everything in my power that I could to be able to have a decision one day to have children. So I decided to freeze my eggs. And as you know, and you know, I saw many places prior to finding spring. And I think that For me, as someone, and I have a history with Lyme disease, so I feel like I've seen countless doctors in my life. And so finding Dr. Hancock, I instantly knew, like, the time, like, your ability to listen, and I can talk, (laughs) your ability (laughs) to listen 
is you should win an award. Oh, just learned. But yeah. Over yeah. many years. But <laughs> yeah. thank you. But you'd be surprised, I feel like, how many doctors don't listen. And I hate yeah. to say that, but you, the time you took to explain every step of this process and procedure and then also adjust it for me and my body and my health and what I've been through, it just, it was, I walked out of the office that day and called Melissa immediately and I'm like, this is it. Uh-huh. It's it's that's you. so nice it's to hear. Fertility. Thank you because you have, I mean, you have just been such a angel throughout this whole process, but have really made me feel so comfortable and helped me with other health stuff other than just freezing my eggs. And so I'm beyond grateful. So thank you. You're welcome. That's what that's my job. But <sighs> but yeah. but I think for a lot of women, the decision making process of should I freeze eggs, should I not? For most people, it just comes down to like. You need you want to have as many options as possible. Yeah. And and so you may never use these eggs. These eggs may be your first baby. They may be your third baby after having two babies naturally or conceiving naturally. So they sort of can can open up a lot of options. And unfortunately, nowadays reproductive options is not you know, is is sort of coming under attack from multiple angles. Thankfully. As of now, IVF and 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 egg freezing are, are are fairly safe, but you want to have as many options as as possible, and and it's really empowering for a lot of women to have that option, because all of us are are have a a lot more life up, op- like we have a lot more career opportunities and things that we want to do with our life, places that we want to go, things to do, people to see, and and childbearing for most women has gone up like so much. In New York City, the age of first, at your first delivery in the past um, like 10 years has gone up by like five or six years, like a lot. Really? Like people are really delaying childbirth. And that's a very small sample size. That's like Manhattan. Right, right. But even like across the country, the middle of the country, thankfully, it's gone up by like 15 years because right. there oh, used to be like yeah. it would it was like you had a baby when you were like 20 um and so that's all like amazing but it but because there's biology that we can't ignore you want to preserve options for the future and so i think that that's really what it comes down for to for a lot of people yeah yeah i'm so happy i and again i feel like i I heard a lot of people say like oh you'll have this sense of empowerment and through the process i can't say that I like felt it through the process, but there absolutely was something after where yeah. I was like, oh, this is what people are yeah. talking about. There yeah. is this sense of, I don't know, I felt like I could breathe a little bit, like, mm-hmm. okay, I did it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the rest isn't up to me, but I feel like I did everything I could to prepare myself. And for that, I'm I'm so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing you said, and you probably experienced this a lot with a lot of people, like, who are messaging you and, and cause you have like a lot of influence over people and you find that when you're like talking to people and trying to like help others and, and, and give people information, listening can sometimes be like the best, easiest thing to do. Like you basically told me your diagnosis and, and, and I like, like all I had to do was listen and put two and two together, do a couple ultrasounds mm-hmm. and we figured out what was going on. And, and it's as simple, as simple as that. And, and 
it gets lost. Like, I don't know, sometimes people, it just gets lost when you get really busy and you're trying to like go, go, go and do, do, do. But um, if you just slow down and listen to people, Mm. you can like, you hear way more than they're even saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. I will say that one of the greatest gifts having a podcast has taught me. And it's, it's so interesting because even like the first I want to say, I was going to say handful, but it's a couple handfuls of episodes. <laughs> I really feel as if I'm a good listener, but there's something so interesting in these moments where I'm like, I feel like I have to say something because it's for the listener. And I'm like, no, all you have to do is listen. Mm-hmm. And even with like having support cards, I'm like, when you listen to people, it's a whole new world and perspective just opens up. And I feel like even with you, Kim, like through this process, I didn't have a lot to say. Like I've never been through this before. And to experience it through watching her and being on FaceTime with you and like getting emotional with you and all I could do was listen, but there's so much power in the support of listening and even like having her walk away from being in the office with you and feeling so good after being listened to, it's powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. It's like healing. As a dot, it's like a really good tool as a physician to be like, this person now feels heard and I figured out what's going on with them. Yes. Can you share, Kim, just a little bit? Because I know people were so interested when we were sharing it on social media, just a little about your personal experience, because I know it really affects everyone differently. It does. Yeah. And to just dive a little bit on what it was like for you. Yeah. Certainly, I've, I know a lot of people that have gone through the process, and I feel like somehow a lot of friends that have gone through it kind of really breezed through it. And I think that I also thought I was going to breeze right through it. Um, And I learned pretty quickly that estrogen pills made me feel, watch out. I was. (laughs) I should still say I'm sorry to my mother. I was very irritable on estrogen pills for eight long days. And then I started the injections, and thankfully, Dana from Spring Fertility was my nurse. And that, for me also, I I chose to have a nurse. It was really overwhelming for me to think about doing injections on my own. I am not a needle person, and I and then also kind of, I mean, you really did the measuring of what I should be doing, but just like kind of doing the medication was overwhelming to me. And so Mm -hmm. I chose to have a nurse come to the house and give me my injections, which was a luxury. And I'm so happy I did it. So that for me was um, very helpful. But I, I will say on the injections, I definitely started to feel a bit depressed. Mm -hmm. And I, I was definitely crying. I stayed home Throughout most of it, I just kind of hid, which was also a nice time to just take for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thankfully, between your support and your support, it really walked me through that was normal. And I also am so thankful for sharing it on Instagram. I don't even think I'm still through all of the messages I received. Wow. The support I I had throughout this process through my 
Instagram following and your community, the MWH community is strong. Strong. Oh, yeah. It really is. And so supportive. And the, just the message. I mean, I cried reading them, like the love and prayers and encouragement and other women sharing their journeys and how they felt. I couldn't believe I, I still, and like I said, I'm really not even through all of them. I tried every day. I was like, I'm going to do 50 a day, and then I'd get through 100. And I'm like, how do I still have 200 more? Wow. But it was really, like, I, again, beyond grateful for it because it made me feel normal. I really, again, thought I was just going to skip through this, and it was, you know, two weeks of injections, but it was really a lot, and it brought up, it brought up a lot. It mm-hmm. brought up that I am 41, and... I am single, and I don't have a kid, and will I have a kid, and all the things that got me to that exact place. And so therapy was really great to have during this. I have it all the time, once a week, but it was, again, another outlet that was incredibly supportive and also a great learning opportunity for me to look at, you know, I think I never this is a big one. I think I never allowed myself to really feel like I wanted to have kids because I didn't want to be disappointed if it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that was such a a big realization for me doing this egg freezing. Which is a little scary to feel that all of a sudden to decide like to allow yourself to feel that. And I, I feel like a lot of patients go through like the first, that first night of injections, like you're like, like here I am doing, you know, my here's my, I'm doing my injections um for the first time by myself and this is in like like just that realization of where you are yeah. which is not a good thing or a bad thing it's just like sort of coming to that realization can is, is like a lot to yeah. to on top of every all the hormones and everything right. else yeah yeah and it was also interesting that I I wasn't anticipating this but I think so many people you know again sent these beautiful messages but a, a lot of women were like your baby's coming. And then I would get this like, (gasps) but what if it's not? Yeah. You know, and that, so that was an interesting element. And again, the, the wishes for it are so kind and sweet and obviously coming from a good place. But then I, and I think that's where I really had this deep dive and, and how did I, how did I get to this age and how did I not think to do this sooner or am I ever going to have them or why, why haven't I prioritized this? And so it was really, it was like a 24 day therapy event as well. But again, so, so grateful for all of it because I learned so much about myself through it as we do with everything. So, I mean, from like an outsider looking in, you were so strong and you just like, I know it was a lot emotionally to witness, but you, you did it. And like, you just like stayed so strong and talked to people when you needed to talk, cried out, like you got it all out and you just like stay focused. Yeah. It also helped having you there. I mean, really and truly, which I think was such a unique, you know, that you, could step in and <laughs> be my partner was so helpful. And I think that, you know, I I do think, I feel like you could put us anywhere and we'd be laughing. So you would. There, yeah. For I sure. Mean, we could be. We enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think you coming to my appointments with me, like where some of it could have felt daunting that I was doing it alone. I had you there. And so it didn't, it didn't feel like I was alone. So that, thank you. 
I mean, there was was literally nothing else I would have rather have been doing than be there with you. Truly. Thank you. I mean, you even had her laughing like five minutes after she came out of the OR. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make her laugh that much. She needs to. I know. I was like, I have to go. (laughs) It's really true. You offered me your juice and your snacks. Do you remember? You were like, get her one. (laughs) An apple juice. Do you remember that? Yeah. I was like, I'll take it. (laughs) Dr. Hancock, Uh, can you share? Because I think people are so confused. Like, what is egg freezing? And then to also just to expand on that, like, what is the difference between egg freezing and IVF? Okay. Very good question. So, and you've heard most of this before, Mm -hmm. but basically... Women, we're born with all the eggs we ever have, and it's like a set number, and we sort of gradually use them up throughout our lifespan until you go through menopause, at which point you have very few eggs left. And by comparison, men um, have these like special cells, and they're con- that are, those cells are constantly pumping out sperm by the hundreds of millions. So there's no shortage of sperm, and any one sperm is only ever like two or three months old. So they're constantly brand new. Our eggs, since we're born with all of them, are they're the exact opposite. They're literally some of the oldest cells in your entire body. Most of your other cells get turned over and regenerated. Your eggs, you're literally born with all your eggs. What happens is each month, your ovary, when realizes you're not pregnant, your ovary like activates and offers up a group of eggs for a chance at ovulation for that next menstrual cycle. And your your brain is smart and knows you only want to have one baby at a time. So your brain sends this hormone to, to that group of eggs, but it only sends just enough for one of them to grow and ovulate in a natural menstrual cycle. And that's how why you ovulate one egg each month, and we usually have one baby at a time. And the brain, being smart, it's only given enough egg-growing hormone for one of them to grow. And so the other ones that were offered up for that month, like, disintegrate and die off, and they're lost from your ovarian reserve. So our ovaries are wasting a whole bunch of eggs each month, and that's why your reserve sort of gradually goes down. When we're doing IVF or egg freezing, and the, getting the eggs is exactly the same in the first half for IV, whether you freeze them as eggs or or turn them into embryos. And so what we do is we basically sneak in, right, when the, those ovaries have offered up that group of eggs for the next month, and the injections that you take, same exact hormone that your that your brain is, is sending to your ovaries, but we just give you more, enough ideally for all the eggs that your ovaries offered up for that month to grow. And then rather than letting you ovulate all of them, we go in and do the retrieval and we, and we collect all the eggs. So we're basically like rescuing the eggs that would have otherwise been lost for that month. So we don't... Um, doesn't change your ovarian reserve, doesn't like dip into your future ovarian reserve. I was going to ask yeah, that. or change your fertility or anything. Because those eggs, once your ovary offers them up, it's like use it or lose it. So you want to, we're just basically giving you enough to grow all of them instead of just one. Mm. And then we retrieve all of the eggs. And if we're freezing the eggs, they get frozen at that point. If you're making embryos and freezing embryos, like for future use, you would they would get fertilized. Each egg gets a sperm injected into it or, or gets fertilized by putting a bunch of sperm on the egg and eventually they all swim on and one makes it through. And then it grows from an egg and it starts to divide. So it's one cell as an egg and then it goes two cells, four cells, eight cells, and it keeps growing and growing and growing over the course of five 
days, five to six days till it's an embryo. And then it's got a couple hundred cells. And then that embryo can either be frozen if you are going to wait to use it or can go back into your uterus like the next month. And that would be IVF, like growing the eggs, making embryos and going back into your uterus. That's the whole process for IVF. Got it. And so it's really where, what are you doing with the eggs? Are, are they getting frozen now versus becoming embryos? The choice between freezing eggs versus freezing embryos for the future depends on a lot of things. If you have a partner or somebody that you know you're going to build a family with, you can think potentially about freezing embryos. Um, if you don't have that, then you might lean towards freezing eggs and eggs are your property. They belong only to you. Embryos are technically joint property. And so you essentially sign a legal agreement that you are to use the embryos, you have to agree to parenthood. And so if you make embryos and then that person ends up not being the person that you're, you're, you're eventually make a family with, then both people have to agree to use the embryos. Remember, Sofia Vergara had a huge public, public yes. fight. I think that they had made embryos and he wanted to use them and she she didn't want to. And so he didn't have access. I have a question because I feel like one thing I've learned through this process is like freezing your eggs is, it's a great security as far as like having an option, mm -hmm. like you said, right? And then to increase those options mm -hmm. of the chances of like the eggs being good quality. I mean, this is something I've learned through so many friends mm -hmm. doing this. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about like that process mm -hmm. and how, because necessarily just because you have eggs doesn't mean. Right. Can we right. talk about that? Yeah. Because so, because that's really important because you could freeze eggs and, and it's a good thing and you feel great about it, but what does it actually, like what actually does it mean? And like, how, is there any data on, on, um, what the utility of those eggs are. And so what we have, and there's a few, there's a few studies um, that are a little outdated at this point, um, but internally at Spring, what we've done is we've tracked in each age group how the frozen eggs perform. And so we can give you like a, a, a likelihood based on how the average 40, 41-year-old eggs perform. This is the likelihood. You have X number of eggs, you froze at 40 years old, this is the likelihood of becoming a live birth. And where we get those numbers from is, is um, from studying how the eggs uh, perform, basically. And so you have your eggs frozen, and then they have to get warmed. And so they the, the, not all the eggs survive the thaw. For instance, in our lab, 93% survive the thaw. That's a lot. It's, a, it's good. That's pretty good. Industry standards, probably like 85 to 90% okay. across the country. And then um, the eggs get fertilized. So each egg gets a sperm injected into it, about 75% fertilized normally. And then from there, the the egg starts to divide. So that's what I was talking about. It goes to two cells, right. four cells, eight cells, until it gets to be an embryo and it's got a couple hundred cells. And not all of them make it to the embryo phase. Probably about 40% make it to embryos. Once we have an embryo, then we can um, take a few cells from the outside of the embryo and do genetic testing on those cells to confirm, is this embryo normal? Does it have two copies of all the chromosomes? And the percent of embryos that are normal is dependent on the age at which you froze the eggs. So at 40, we would expect probably about 25 to 30% to, to be normal. And... Um, 
and so when you when you break it down, you're sort of unfortunately losing at each at each step. And so what you want to take into consideration is what are you starting with at the top of that funnel and what is your age because age determines the ability of the eggs to get to the embryo phase and the the proportion of those embryos that are going to be normal. And so that's what you want to walk through um and that's what we went through. Remember yeah. that pyramid diagram that I, I showed do. you? Because cause, cause that really tells you what the utility is going to be like specifically for you. Um, and that I think is 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 really is really helpful because some people great, froze their eggs, never had a follow-up, didn't know what any of those numbers were. They go back to use their eggs. And with all that drop-off, they might not end up with much to work with. And so you want to really talk talk to your doctor like we did about numbers. What do these numbers actually look like? And what is your goal in terms of how many eggs, how many kids you want, and and sort of coming up with a plan because it's very different from person to person. Um, But I think knowing that those those numbers at that step, even though it's many years from now, is really helpful to understand. Yeah. I have to say that that was another thing that with you at Spring, that in my other appointments, no one explained that to me. Mm-hmm. And so you were the, and that was our first appointment together. Mm-hmm. You went through all of that. And that was so helpful and eye-opening. And then I think I was able to go into the process with that in mind so that I had a, so I'm not surprised later right. on, right? right? And so that was super helpful. And again, had several appointments before that that was never said. That's the most important. What are, I mean, that's the most important part. What do you do that for? You would think so. Like, you really need to yeah. know, like, what do you, what does it mean? Like, right. great. So you had eight eggs or nine eggs or 20 eggs, whatever you have. Like, right. what does that actually mean? Right. And, and that um, does get lost, I think, sometimes. I think that's the other really wonderful thing about spring is that I didn't feel like a number. I felt like a person. And, and again, like, you really catered this to me and my needs and and where I am in my life, my age, all the factors. And again, explained it so in such detail that I really knew what I was walking into. And again, it just was, you know, it's such an easy decision when I walked. I literally walked out of the office and called Melissa. That makes me feel so good. We were like, let's do it. Yeah, (laughs) let's go. Let's make them eggs. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, Everything came and said, and then like meeting you, and when you told me that you recommend MWH to people, I, I was do. like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This is <laughs> just like life synchronicities." Like it's so crazy. Oh, yeah. that it's a good thing to do, to do during... your standing series. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. Oh yeah. <laughs> when I... I was like, "Do her standing arms." You're like, "No, my arms are too bulky. I'm not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like staying away from the arms right now. And you did tell me to get off my Bosu ball. I know. I know. Hi. Right. Well, there were certain things that. Were there certain things you recommend yes. when yeah. it comes to working out during the egg freezing process and after? Can mm-hmm. you share maybe a little mm-hmm. bit on that? Because I think it's really yeah, important. Definitely. So during egg freezing or IVF, certainly, you, so the first few days of injections, your ovaries aren't that much bigger than than they normally are. But the way your ovaries are in your pelvis is they're like kind of like a ball on a string. And so your ovary is suspended between these two like ligaments that have the blood vessels that that feed the blood to your ovary. And as that ovary gets bigger and bigger, as all the eggs grow, 
the risk is that the ovary can twist and that's something called ovarian torsion and that like kinks off the blood supply. And, and anytime your ovaries are enlarged, that, that can happen. And so what we recommend is first couple of days of injections, you can probably do what you normally do, but pretty much for most of the cycle through to like a good week out from the cycle, your ovaries are still enlarged. And we want to just keep your pelvis really still. No like high intensity, no twisting, no like inversions and then standing up. Anything that's going to like rock your pelvis around and, 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 and put the ovaries at risk of sort of like flopping over, we ask people to avoid. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't move at all. We just recommend basically that people stick to things like standing series or treadmill, like walking, walk on an incline. You can do arm series. You can do things with like squats and plies. But as long as your like pelvis is staying relatively still, you can definitely still move. And people feel much better when they do. You've got a lot of um, water weight, also, your estrogen goes really up. It's your own estrogen that your ovaries are making. But anytime your estrogen is high, you're at an increased risk for blood clots. And so keeping your blood moving and keeping moving is always really helpful and really healthy. Um, and also the mental wow. aspect of it. It just helps you feel so much more whole and and strong and healthy and in charge during a time when you're not really in charge. I'm telling you what to do with your body, when to take an injection, when to come to my office, Mm -hmm. like come back, you know, and we're asking you to do a lot of things that you don't, you sort of have to leave it up to fate with your doctor and your ovaries. And, and that's really challenging for a lot of people. And so taking care of yourself, doing exercise, eating well, sleeping well, having support friends, like Melissa, mm-hmm. um, and psychiatrists, they call it whatever your whatever your group of things that help you feel well and and healthy and even and and like have mental fortitude mm-hmm. is like so important. Um, and so so it's it's like really one of the like I really truly do recommend it to people because they it it helps a lot. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it like really touches my heart to hear that from you. And um, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I hope it helps people. I know the days you moved, you felt so much better. So much better. And I was a lot of incline walking Mm -hmm. during. And then I I mean, there was one day where I really had a a good burst and did a bit of an earlier and did, you know, more of like a yoga sculpt. And those workouts felt great to me. But then but then I was getting pain on my um, left side from assist. And so then after that that started, I really kind of stopped moving and just stuck to walking, like late walking. But it felt so good to move, mm-hmm. as always. Always. Yeah. Can you share some ways for women to naturally optimize their fertility? Yeah. Um. So natural fertility um, is predicated on one basic thing, which is that you ovulate at some kind of regular frequency where you know that you're ovulating and you know when to have have sex. 
once you ovulate, middle of the month usually, say you have regular like 30-day long cycles, um, the egg, once it's released, only lives for like less than 24 hours, like maybe 18 hours. And it has a very short half-life once it's released. But the sperm can live for like 72 hours in the fallopian tubes. So ideally, you've had sex like in the days leading up to when you ovulate. And then the sperm are like kind of there waiting when you when the egg gets released. And I then had no they idea. Fertilize. I know. Wow. And so 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 actually more. it's like the, those like four or five days before you ovulate are like the most fertile times. Once the egg is released, it's got like a very short clock. And so for most people, optimizing natural fertility really comes down to like being very in tune with your menstrual cycle. And there's many ways to do this. You can um just monitor your cervical, like your mucus, like your vaginal discharge mm -hmm. gets a little bit different when you're ovulating. It's like a little more um, like, like clear and stretchy. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can be one way to monitor. Um, you can monitor body temperature. So after you ovulate, your, your body temperature goes up by like about one degree. You have to take your temperature like first thing in the morning to have it be, to have it be, you know, something that you can track and use reliably. And apps can be helpful. So what the apps do is it basically um, calculates that when you you put in a couple of menstrual cycles and it tend they tend to like correct and get a little bit more accurate. And so once you ovulate and the egg is released, it's always going to be a fixed 14 days until you get your next period. The reason that people have different cycle lengths, like one person's is 27, one person's is 35, one person's is 26, is the time from when, when you get your period to when you, when you grow the egg and it gets ready to ovulate, that can be very different. For most people, it's about two weeks from the day you get your period until you ovulate, and then two weeks from when you ovulate to the next period. But for some people, it's a week and a half. For some people, it's three weeks before you ovulate. Some people, it's four weeks before you ovulate. And so that's where we get the difference in the length and menstrual cycles. And so as long as it's something that you can figure out, you can usually get to a place where you can know when your fertile window is. So I think that's probably like the number one thing for optimizing natural fertility. Because um, a lot of people are out of touch with their menstrual cycle. I know. They really are. And um, I feel like a lot of people have been on various types of birth control and they um they like think that they have regular periods but they've actually been on birth control for a really long time and then when they stop because the birth control like programs your menstrual cycles they're like oh actually I don't I don't my period is totally irregular and so that can be um I think that can be something that people like work struggle with a little bit getting ready to start trying and did you, sorry, say to me the other day, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was helpful. If you're on the pill on birth control, you don't actually ovulate. Is no, that right? Correct. Exactly. So then you wouldn't know what the signs right. are of ovulation. Right. right. It'll be a totally new thing for you. It. Yeah. How long does someone need to be off birth control in order to go to move through with the egg freezing process successfully? It, um, it depends on the person. So a lot of people, they can we can stop the birth control and they can start the injections for their egg freezing process like a few days later. For some people, their ovaries, if it depends on kind of, it's not really how long you've been on birth control. Some people are like a little more sensitive than others. And so their, their ovaries get a little suppressed. Um, and it can take a long time for that 
the ovaries to kind of perk up and really offer up eggs. And, and, um, and so some people, they do a little better if they go off for like up to like two to six weeks before starting the cycle, usually not longer than that. So it depends on the person. We, that's something we, after we do the first ultrasound, we kind of get a sense of, um, and then we kind of go from there. Great. IUD can stay in though. Oh, it can. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. We're not doing anything with the uterus. Huh? Just kind of hangs out there. We're mostly focused on the ovaries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. That's really incredible. The whole process. It really is. And so detailed and specific. And again, Dr. Hancock just really, I thought was another thing. And just again, in listening to other other people's journeys again just like how specific you were with all of my injections and just watching all of watching all of the eggs and seeing the sizes and just being so it, i mean it really is a science right really which probably is not shocking to most people to hear but it was really just eye opening the whole process but again the the attention to my body in detail throughout the whole pro- process was was incredible thank okay. you you're welcome. Then translates into results. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of um, IVF and, and egg freezing where everyone gets kind of like the same dose, mm-hmm. like the same the whole way through. And that's one. There's certainly ways, different ways of doing things. And that's one way that you can like give a lot of people care all at once. And and so some um, some centers like sort of go more towards that model. But there's always going to be people that lose out for, you know, the dose was too high or too low or whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Um, And so I just, you know, there's different ways of doing things, but I think it, I think it makes a big difference to sort of like tailor the dose each, each time you come in. It sounds like it would, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This has been so informative. I hope people really walk away from this conversation, just feeling empowered to have this knowledge. I think just to really wrap it up, can you share just a little behind what people can expect for like the prep and then the recovery mm-hmm. process? So um, in terms of prep, um, it depends on if you are coming in looking to preserve fertility or if you are infertile and you've been struggling with infertility. Um, and so so the the preliminary testing is sort of dictated by that. So a lot of that's blood work, ultrasound. Um, with infertility, we often want to check on things like your fallopian tube and the, the shape of the uterus, if there's any fibroids or anything like that. And so that testing can be anywhere from like a day or two to like a couple of different appointments, depending on sort of what what you need and and what underlying issues might be there. And then a lot of it's back and forth with the team. I have to shout out to my amazing team. They are. They are incredible. Incredible. On top of it. They I every time I go into a scan, they're like, this is Sally. She just got back from a work trip in Virginia and she's really <laughs> concerned about da 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 da. And don't forget to tell her that you love her new puppy or whatever. They like <laughs> they're like so good. Like before I see everyone. That's why it seems like I like know everything about everyone. It's not me. <laughs> it's my team. They're like they're like really, really good. You are only as strong as your team. You are. You are. Like they're always like, and she has to be triggered by this day. And I'm like, okay, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like really, really um, on top of it. So a lot of it's back and forth with the team of like, 
does when does it does this schedule work? Does this this is what's involved? You know, like logistic planning. Um, and so I would say that's most of the front end. The 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 lead into the cycle, what we call priming, which tries to get all the small follicles like sort of ready to go and sort of keep them like races at a starting gate, like keep them all like sort of small and and just ready to respond right when we start the injections. Um, that there's multiple ways to do that, so that can differ from person to person. Um, and then on the other side, the recovery is really probably varies from person to person, mostly based on on the number of eggs and how big your ovaries got. The bigger your ovaries, the more of the bloating, cramping you feel, and, and the slightly longer the recovery will be. Always everyone has like sort of gotten their period and, and hormonally recovered by 10 days after the retrieval. Um, and, but the ovaries are still shrinking down. And if your ovaries are coming from a really big size, that process can take a little bit longer. And so that really varies from person to person. How was it for you, Kim? Because I know you slept a lot. I slept. I was sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night for Good five I'm to seven days. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I was like out. How does that feel? Yeah, <laughs> it was it was great. Um, but yeah, I felt like I did. Which you actually told me when I came out. Like I felt like the procedure itself, which I, I feel like a lot of people ask me this. It felt easy to me. I was good in and out, and certainly the facility is stunning, and it just felt quick and easy. So that part felt really great. I I do feel like my bloating increased yes, after, which it does. you warned me. Definitely gets worse. Yeah. yeah so two or three days out. I, yeah. I definitely got, like, certainly the week leading up, I definitely got really bloated. And then after I got more bloated. Um, and then I had awful night sweats, which you know. I know. That was not fun. I was literally changing clothes between three and five times a night. And like, just, I was really thankful for that king bed I just got because I just kept moving to different <laughs> spots. I mean, my hair was soaked. My pillow this is really gross. And I was really thankful that there was no one sharing my bed. <laughs> this is when I was real happy. I was single. I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs> so That's too funny. Yeah. So, but then once I got my cycle, which you also let me know, then they it stopped. Yes. Yeah. And so that was probably the most annoying. But I also think that once I stopped injections, like the the men- mentally for me, I felt so much better. And just the further I got out, I was a little nervous. Like, would that kind of depression I was feeling stay? And I, I certainly know a lot of people that it did stay for a couple months after. And I feel really lucky that it really stopped right after the retrieval. And I kind of m- mentally felt better. But it was just bloated, I think, for like eight days until I got my cycle and those night sweats. I know, because your estrogen was dropping. Oh, Your estrogen dropping. gets re- gets really high at the end of the cycle, and even in those days following the cycle, and that's like just about as high as it gets from like during pregnant, like it's high. Yeah. And, um, and then it sort of rapidly falls and you really can, you feel like you can sense that and, and night sweats yeah. is really a common sign that the estrogen is going down. Yeah. Yeah, it was not pretty. <laughs> I was, I was like, I mean, like just dripping down my arms. It was gross, but really happy that's over now. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is over. Yeah, so you did we, it. I did it. We did it, and so happy and so happy. Is there anything else that 
either one of you were, would add maybe for someone who is unsure, skeptical, doesn't want to put themselves through that process, just any like final words, I think, for maybe someone listening, because I'm sure there's some people out there. Would you like to go first? I would say, I want to say something really cheesy. I, I feel like it's kind of like a um, sprint and not a marathon. Like it's two and a half weeks. You can get through it. It does, there is like an insight. It does, it does end um, and you get, you, you get through it. And that's probably the same for most patients who are undergoing IVF, but it, for them, it's, it's a swings more towards being a marathon because it's, it's, it can be, you know, long and drawn out in multiple cycles and transfer. Um, and so, you know, it, uh, for both people, like whether you're a marathon runner or a sprinter, you need to be like, it's a lot and, and not one's not easier than the other, but, um, but you really have to, um, to be, to be strong and, and to be prepared and make sure you have a good support support team. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I wish, I wish I had done it sooner. Like I think that I, you know, I put it off for such a long time and I coming out on the other side of it and I'm so happy at 41 that I still decided to do it. So I wouldn't say let, don't let your age deter you by any. Absolutely stretch. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's uh, a numbers game. We can always stack the numbers in your favor. Yeah. And so I think that's was such, and again, I feel like I had so many women reach out that were are 40, 41 and felt like it was too late. And so I was happy to be able to share that it's not too late. So I would absolutely say, say do it. It's worth it. And and again, that that empowerment piece that I I found after the retrieval and just it's peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, it's it's, you know. It's not in my hands. Nothing is in our hands. And so I feel like I did everything I could. And, you know, the rest is, is up, up there. So we'll see. But it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. So thank you. And thank you. Of course. Yeah. To put it in perspective, most of our fertility patients are like 40, 41. And and they're all and we're many of them are very successful. So yeah. it's so like if, there's no like age limit. It's just mm -hmm. like what are your goals? And like what do you have the time and the energy and the strength to do? And we work with it. I hope that people feel like a ray of hope listening to this because I, I feel that way for so many people, even that I know in my life and especially for this one here for Kim. And thank you, Dr. Hancock, for of just- Of course. Thank you guys for having me. For just treating Exciting. her with the most- incredible care. We cannot rave about spring fertility enough to anyone who <laughs> has listened to this incredible Thank you episode. for the plug. <laughs> yes. I mean, we are not even trying. It's just- No. I love it. So we had some and conversations I, before with other yeah. facilities and this by far. Yeah. And I think- the best. We, this is such a longer conversation, but again, like I feel like my fertility- became so much more with you and just this cyst that I've been having and so much pain. And again, it just goes back to the the time and the care that you've taken to look into that for me and give me next steps and how to handle this situation. And again, like couldn't be more grateful. And it's so shocking that the other places that I spoke to, like the amount of, of 
listening and truly like I I feel like you care about me and my health overall beyond just my fertility and that is just I I could have never dreamt of a better doctor so oh. thank you I wanted to add this part because I know Kim you said going to see Dr. Hancock opened up so much more for you other than like just the knowledge of this whole process that it helped uncover something that you've been told from many other doctors was not an issue. Yeah. I mean, I think, I you know, as someone, again, Lyme disease, I've had a multitude of health issues over really the majority of my life. And I always thought I had... I have stomach issues and I've been suffering with this pain that I thought was my stomach. And it's this awful sharp pain on my left side and it radiates into my back. And actually just before I moved to New York, um, this fall I was in LA and ended up in the emergency room with this excruciating pain on my lower left side. I was throwing up from the pain and the emergency room doctor was so rude to me um, and and basically told me I was fine and actually on my discharge papers wrote that I needed a psychologist um, as my follow-up. And what's so crazy to me is during my egg freezing process, this pain started again. And I mean, it, I have it every month, but no one ever put this together for me. And I shared with Dr. Hancock how I was feeling and and you were actually with me when we did the ultrasound and discovered this cyst on my left side. And again, throughout this process, you kept telling me, you know, like monitor it, pay attention to it. And certainly I was taking Tylenol and Advil and heat and also why I stopped really working out because the pain was so bad. But I, we, after... After the retrieval, Dr. Hancock told me to come back in about a month out, which just a few days ago, I, I went in to see her and we confirmed that this is, did you call it an endometrioma? Yes, you are right. Me remember knowing, but it is um, endometriosis. And I, you know, I I think I've, I've cried enough the last three days that I feel like I'm not going to cry now, but I feel like I cried so much with you that day in the office because it's just so wild to me that I have seen so many doctors and so many s stomach specialists, actually, um, that really couldn't help me. And, you know, I get told all the same things, oh, you're stressed, oh, you're anxious. N not necessarily it's in my head, but that my, that I'm kind of causing this pain and I've been tossed different supplements and magnesium and I'm drinking colostrum and doing all these things for my stomach. And all this time, it was this cyst on my ovary and it's endometriosis. And you also said something to me that was so helpful, which was like track when you're getting this pain. Mm -hmm. And I was actually able to, with my lovely little app to track my cycle, go back and and see where I was having the pain. And it was around ovulation and around like right before I was getting my cycles when this pain flares up, which I think is so helpful for people to know um, when that pain might occur. 
And I went back three months and was able to see every single month the pain was when I was ovulating and right before my cycle each month, which I I walked in really certain that this was probably it because of everything you Mm -hmm. shared with me. Mm -hmm. But um, again, like I, I feel like I've said this so many times throughout this podcast, but I am beyond grateful. I mean, I came in to freeze my eggs and have walked out with like, so much more knowledge about my own body and also next steps of like you setting me up. This is not what Dr. Hancock does. She is a fertility (laughs) specialist, but you're sending me to the right doctors. And again, like the extra time and care and effort that you put into just my health, like forget my egg freezing. But again, like I have spent so I beyond I can't even calculate the amount of money I've spent on doctors in in my life and specialists with things and and for you to just listen to me and then do one simple ultrasound and and figure this out where for years I've been trying and I've had ovarian cyst rupture and I had an abdominal pregnancy at one point and you know no one ever thought to say it was endometriosis. And so I think it's just so helpful to share that with other people of like what some of the signs are and also like really listen to your body. And if a doctor is telling you that this is a pain you have to deal with or that it's your anxiety or, you know, you're causing it or they can't figure it out and you know in your body that there's something more, get a second opinion. Go find a Dr. Hancock. Find someone who you find someone who you mesh who who you mesh well with um and who will listen. And all it you told me what you had like you're like, (laughs) I had so endometriosis is tissue that gets outside your uterus and it can cause scarring all over your pelvis and um, it can scar your fallopian tubes, which leads to ectopic pregnancy. It causes cyclic pain that fluctuates with your hormones as you ovulate and then get your menstrual cycle. Um, And so the pain is usually very repetitive at specific times during the month. And um, it can get not sort of goes outside your uterus. And so if it gets on the wall of your pelvis or the back of your pelvis, that can cause like deep radiating pain like you're describing that goes to your back and and and, and you're almost in your back of your butt and your leg on that side. Um, and it can also go on to other organs. Like it can go on to your outside of your, your intestines or the outside of your bladder. Um, and that can cause a terrible bowel symptoms, diarrhea, constipation, gas, like intestinal pain, also compounded by the fact that you're having like really bad menstrual pain. Um, And so you just told me all of those things. And we saw this little cyst that was there during the cycle. And I said, you know, let's, at first I thought maybe it was like a cyst from where you had ovulated a month or two before. Um, but it persisted and it looked at the same and the same. And so once we had some data points and then we did that final ultrasound like a month afterwards and it was still there and it looks like textbook, like an endometrioma, then, you know, that, that was, that was all we needed to do. But, um, you know, it just goes to show you in, in modern medicine, we have so many diagnostics and mm-hmm. so many tests and ultrasound and images, imaging and, um, like a thousand tests to work up everything, but you don't always even need all that stuff. You can really like do a lot of medicine just by like the simple, simple things. Yeah. Well, you were rare. And so I, I, I wish more doctors 
we're like you. So I'm Thank so you. happy we've had you. Were you were a trooper. Thank you. And I'll say it again. I've said it a few times, but I feel like you can never say this enough. I just hope this conversation brings hope and empowerment and has people walking away knowing to trust themselves, to listen to their gut, their intuition, and when something doesn't feel right, to keep finding the right person until something is unveiled. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank Thank you. you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. God, I have to say it still feels so good to share that the evolution of the MWH platform is finally here. And we are giving you so much more on the platform with your membership. We have a very special offer for our Move With Heart listeners. We've never done this before. For new members, in addition to your seven-day free trial, we are giving your first entire month for free. That's another 30 days free, you guys. We never do this. All you have to do is head to melissawoodhealth.com and use code MOVEWITHHEART, all lowercase, no spaces, when you sign up for a monthly membership. Let me tell you, if you did not know this already, MWH now offers so much more. I cannot emphasize that enough in every category to help guide you in both movement and meditation so you can feel not only your absolute best in your body, but most importantly, in your mind. So don't forget to get your first month free. Use code MOVEWITHHEART when you sign up for a monthly membership at melissawoodhealth.com and follow me on Instagram at melissawoodtepperberg and MWH at melissawoodhealth on Instagram and TikTok. I cannot wait to see you all on the map.